Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're going to revisit a conversation from November of 2017 with legendary musician Tom Paxton. Tom Paxton says, Folk music is lumber with the bark still on. His legendary career spans six decades of traditional music and topical songs. He says today's political climate presents an embarrassment of riches to the songwriter. At that point, he said he hadn't penned a Trump song, for example, but that was still to come. No word on whether he has or not yet. Uh, Tom Paxton's uh, songs have been covered by everyone from Pete Seeger to Bob Dylan to Johnny Cash. He's received many awards, and his place in folk music skewered not just by hit records and awards, but by the admiration of three generations of fellow musicians. He and his wife, late wife uh, Midge have two daughters, Jennifer and Kate. All three women have served as inspiration for many songs. And now, three grandsons, Christopher, Sean, and Peter, are adding to sources of inspiration. I reached uh, Tom Paxson, as I mentioned, in November of 2017, as he is preparing to come uh, to appear at the Moab Folk Festival. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward. It'll be my first time there. Uh, your first time at the Moab Folk Festival. Well, that's that's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Um, so what, what can folks expect from you at the Moab Folk Festival? Well, they can expect something, uh, relatively new. I'm working these days with two friends of mine who are songwriters from Nashville, John Vesner and Don Henry. They, they're Grammy winning songwriters. Uh, the two of them, uh, co-wrote, uh, uh, Kathy Matea's monster hit years ago, Where Have You Been?, and uh, as a matter of fact, John is married to Kathy, and we've been working together for about a year now. They they open uh, shows for me and then accompany me, and we um, form really uh, like a trio. Uh, and this this is something new to me. I'm having a great deal of fun with it. As a matter of fact, it caused me to postpone my retirement indefinitely. Oh, you must be having fun. Well, well, and I'm sure the fans are very happy you've postponed it indefinitely. Um, what, um, I'm guessing you get songs that are requested over and over again. Um, do you ever get tired of playing certain songs? Not really. Luckily, the ones they want to hear uh, are songs that I still like, like uh, uh, The Last Thing on My Mind and Ramblin' Boy and Bottle of Wine. Um, and I'm I'm always happy to do those songs, so it's it's not really a problem. Mm. Uh, I always uh, uh, sympathize with Arlo Guthrie having uh, his major, major hit be about eighteen minutes long, <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, he finally just surrendered. And a couple of years ago, we did a a fiftieth anniversary tour um, featuring. Um, um, Alice's Restaurant. I guess yeah, that would be somewhat problematic if your if your hit song yeah. is, is that of that length. That's a, that's a big chunk of a show. Uh, that, that is good to have hits, though, right? Um, but that's not oh Lord, course, yes. not not all you do. You um, you you write uh, you. I think you've always done this. You write very topical songs, to, uh, songs ripped from the newspaper. I do, but you know, uh, people have the erroneous uh, idea that. Topical songs are doomed to a, a, a quick, uh, quick death. Uh, and it's just not true. Uh, when you when you think of it, our national anthem is a topical song about a particular battle in one of our less important wars. Um, and uh, George Grove from the Kingston Trio tells me that to this day, the most requested song. They do is the MTA song, Charlie on the MTA, uh, which was written as a campaign song for a fellow who didn't even win the election. Yeah, so, so. I, topical <laughs> songs, um, if they're good songs, they hang on. I mean, there really was an old 97 that wrecked on uh, some railroad in the South. Uh, you have uh, songs about uh, uh, the... Uh, uh, the Titanic that are still sung, so I think the only the only problem is uh, writing a good song. If you write a good song, it's going to stick around. Well, what what makes a good song? You, I mean, you teach 
you teach classes these days, workshops anyway, on uh, writing a, a traditional song, for example. What, what makes a good song? Well, for one thing, singability. It helps to have a, a memorable chorus. Like, did he ever return? No, he'll never return, and his fate is still unlearned. Uh, people like to sing that. Um, uh, not to mention, oh, say, can you see? Um, so singability is the absolute um, uh, essential for, for any song uh, to, to get into the fabric. What would you say about uh, the other part of that title of that workshop, teaching, uh, uh, writing a traditional song, traditional music? Another name yeah, could well, be folk music. Yeah, well, of course, music. you can't write a traditional song. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the title of the workshop is, is, is ironic because a traditional song is one that has been around for several generations. But what I mean to do in that workshop is we, uh, we write new verses for old songs, which is how the process has always worked anyhow. Uh, you, in the old days, you would have been to a, um, a camp meeting a couple mountains away, which you only go to once a year, and you'd come home with a song on, on, on your lips, and you'd say, realize that you only knew one verse to it. Well, you weren't going to just sing that one verse for... Uh, the two years it would take to get back to that camp meeting. Um, and so you make up some of your own. And that's what people always have done. And the process kind of winnows out uh, the loser verses, and we wind up with, with a song like Come All You Fair and Tender Ladies. Uh, or, or, indeed, I've Been Working on the Railroad. Um, I, wrote a, I wrote an introduction for I've Been Working on the Railroad. No one asked me to. <laughs> But uh, I wrote, uh, working on the railroad 20 hours a day, all the pretty women waiting for my pay. I've been laying track since the day that I was born. Dinah, won't you blow your horn? Oh, I've been working on the ra- You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, what uh, students in the workshop, for example, you go through this exercise, what uh, uh, surprises come out for you? Oh, what? sure. Um, I, I, I have a, a maximum of 15 people in a class uh, at uh, Swannanoa in North Carolina, where I, I teach for a week every year. Um, and of those 15, uh, one or two will really uh, knock me out. They'll come out with, with, with a terrific song. Many of them uh, are simply there for the love of the music and try their hand at songwriting, you know, without any really serious intent, which is perfectly okay. Uh, but, but some of them, some of them are there with fire in their eyes. They want to really get better at this, and they do. You've, uh, I want to um, throw a couple of your quotes uh, at you uh, to get some get oh, a response. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you first of all, on topical songs that we we talked about earlier, you sure. say you say one advantage there is that uh, writing a topical song turns your attention away from your I think you call it your sorry self and uh, out into the world. Yeah, I think it's really important for us to learn to write about the world around us. The world we're living in right now, um, Shakespeare put it uh, better than I would, of course, and he said, hold the mirror up to nature. And what I mean by that is to, uh, for example, take any issue of the newspaper and go through it looking for an article or anything that, that rise or raises an emotion in you of any kind, from uh, anger or sorrow or hilarity, could be funny, and then write a song, imagine yourself as either a participant in that story or an eyewitness, and you'll be writing a song like uh, someone who saw the wreck of the 97 or imagined that he saw the wreck of the old 97. Or imagine
imagined that he was on the deck of the Titanic when the band was playing Nearer My God to Thee. Using the imagination, place yourself in the middle of that story, uh, either as a participant or as an eyewitness, and you'll be writing a song from your imagination about the real world as you see it. Now you've uh, you've often written uh, you have topical songs can be anything but they can also be political. You've written many uh, political songs. For example, sure. you know, uh, Freedom Summer 1964, uh, one of your songs came out of that. It was you know a very serious theme uh, titled uh, Goodman uh, Shorner and Cheney. Yes. Well, like uh, so many millions of us, I was appalled uh, s- sorrow anger by that event and um, I sat down and wrote that song in, in quite, quite a short time. And um, I still sing it occasionally. Uh, and what I guess it helps to make the point I was trying to make earlier, when I sing it, people don't care that it was uh, 50 years ago. Uh, it becomes very immediate to them as they listen to it. Um, and those are the kinds of songs that are worth the effort to write. What does that do? What is a song like that? What does that do? What do you hope it does? Well, I hope it helps to remind people of, of the senseless brutality that comes from things like racism, um, from political extremism. Uh, It leads to, those things lead to brutal deaths like those three boys died. Uh, It was was senseless. Uh, it, it, it It prevented nothing in the way of the, of the, March towards racial freedom and justice. It was it was simple, horrible murder, and you know to be reminded of that uh, can't be a bad thing. I think. Mm. You're listening to Access Utah, and we are revisiting a conversation with legendary folk singer Tom Paxton. This is from November of 2017. We'll have more with Tom Paxton following this uh, break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Salt Lake City Weekly, a Utah news source since 1984, covering news, politics, music, and more in Salt Lake City and beyond. Available weekly at 1,800 locations across the Wasatch Front or online at cityweekly.net. This is Amy Anderson for Bringing More to Life. We are grateful for the many ways our families and communities support the residents of nursing homes, assisted living centers, and seniors everywhere. This population is at greater risk for being affected by COVID-19. Nursing homes and assisted livings across the nation have placed restrictions on visitors to protect their residents. However, restricting visits does not mean curtailing communication from family and friends. We encourage you to use email, FaceTime, Skype, snail mail, or a simple old-fashioned telephone call to check in with the seniors you know. Communicate with their family or care center to find the best way to connect. Together, we will continue to provide the physical and social support our community members deserve and desire. Support for bringing more to life on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and the Sunshine Terrace Foundation in Logan, advancing wellness, independence, dignity, and comfort. Information at sunshineterrace.com. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're revisiting a conversation with legendary folk singer Tom Paxton. Uh, he uh, spoke with us in November of 2017, ahead of his appearance that year at the Moab Folk Festival. His songs have been covered by everyone from Pete Seeger to Bob Dylan to Johnny Cash. He's received uh, many awards, of course, and uh, justly deserves his uh, place in, in the Pantheon. And uh, we enjoyed our conversation with him then. We're revisiting it uh, today. One of your songs, I think, would at least... Uh, songs with a political theme in it has been influential, I believe, uh, is the song, What Did You Learn in School Today? Oh, yeah. 
Well, there you go with the little, the little, uh, the use of irony. I think uh, it, it sound, it sounds like a children's song, uh, and it should be sung with a merry, uh, a merry heart, like a children's song. But it, it, it makes its own political points. Uh, I learned that Washington never told a lie. I learned that soldiers seldom die. I learned that everybody's free, and that's what the teacher said to me, and that's what I learned in school today. That's what I learned in school. And I learned our government must be strong. It's always right and never wrong. Our leaders are the finest men, and we elect them again and again, and that's what I learned in school today. That's what I learned in school. Pete Seeger uh, loved that song, sang it all the time. Um, speaking of the topical songs, um, you've said, and I think we all agree, uh, today is just an embarrassment of riches, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's an overload. It's an overload, and in, I, I still haven't written my Donald Trump song. I've, I've made several starts, uh, but I haven't, I haven't found... I haven't found a key yet to what I want to to what I want to say, um, but oh, it is an embarrassment. I mean, when you think about the whole Russian thing, my God, and this obsession with Hillary Clinton um, that that Trump still has. Uh, uh, there's, you're right. It's an embarrassment of riches. It's too, it's too much. Hmm. I think you said I was reading on an, on an interview with you. Um, uh, you said it, it has occurred to other people besides you that I, I can't remember what the rhyme was. Hoochie coochie rhymes with Scaramucci. It's, um, yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, uh, he is truly removed from the picture. Yeah. I, I, I don't think there's much point in a Scaramucci song at this mm. point. Yeah, things move, um, things move so fast in the, in the, in the Trump world. Yeah. Too, so, yeah. Well, he was. He was here today and gone tomorrow, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. So what do you, uh, I guess, if you haven't found the key, then maybe this is the wrong question. What do you think the key will be for the, to, when you write your your uh, immortal Trump song? Oh, that there's no there there. That that this is, this is truly an empty suit. Yeah. Um, and... But but there's some there's it's fa- he's fascinating though he's he's very fascinating from the you know the the, the tweets to the self promotion to the um, there there are a lot of yeah. facets there that uh, I'm I'm sure will turn into there'll be a Tom Paxton song I'm sure before long about this well it has to it has to yeah you uh you repurpose you repurposed at least one I'm changing my name to Chrysler you you repurposed that to I'm changing my my name to Fannie Mae right yes I did. Uh... Uh, nothing like, uh, <laughs> nothing like a retread. Um, uh, if it worked for one, it would work for the other. I think the first one was better than the second one, but, uh, uh, why not? And the Chrysler song, this was the Chrysler bailout, right? And the, the, I guess the obvious parallel. Yes, and, and, and now, whenever I sing it nowadays, I, in the interest of fairness, I, I like to point out that they did in fact repay uh, the loan to the last dollar. Um, but it was still, uh, a good point that if they're, you know, if they're bailing out someone that big, how about little old me? Hmm. You said something interesting passing, because uh, I've been reading a few things. Um, it's just kind of been passing. I took it to, to, to be connected with, you know, today's political climate. You said, uh, we know how to deal with bullies. Yeah, well, we got a big one right now, um, and we haven't dealt with him yet. Uh, if if ever there were a bully, it is uh, Donald Trump. Uh, he's a bellicose, uh, bellicose man. He uh, he pokes fun, <coughs> calls names. Um, I have no I have no doubt that uh, when he was at military school, he was. Um, not afraid to punch somebody a little smaller than himself. He's he's your classic bully. And you say we haven't dealt with him. Of course, you know the part of the country doesn't want to deal with him. They're they're marching a oh, step with him. Most of the country, I think, yeah. doesn't. Well, 
at least half the country doesn't want to do a thing about him. They they're perfectly content. So I think that's one of the one of the symptoms of the problem in this country right now. Just an awful lot of people just want to turn a blind eye to whatever the man does, whether it be uh, uh, assaulting women or or um, absolutely lying uh, every time he opens his mouth. Um, it's perfectly okay with a lot of people. So if you're in, to admit that. If you're in the camp that uh, sees him as a bully, uh, what do you say we haven't dealt with him yet? Uh, how, how do you deal with a bully? Well, we live in a democracy. I mean, you, you, don't, <clears throat> you don't attack a bully uh, physically or anything like that. You can't do that. We have to work within the system um, and... Uh, our, our first chance to do anything about it will be next year uh, in the off-year elections and uh, see if we can take back control of Congress. I want to, uh, this is another quote, I want to get your reaction to. This was, This is, uh, um, there's a lot here, just a, a brief uh, sentence. You said, folk music is lumber with the bark still on. Yes, yeah, it is. That's, uh, I happen to, to like a lot of the old field recordings that people like Alan Lomax would, would tote their uh, equipment up, up into the hollers in Appalachia and, and uh, record uh, singers sitting on their front porch. And uh, these were not professional singers and didn't pretend to be. And uh, uh, they might hit a flat note now and then, and they might have you know maybe a few too many verses for comfort but this was this was the real the real stuff um that that we refined and 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 sing in the coffee houses and concert halls uh but i i like those original recordings a lot and that's what i meant by uh, the bark still on it it hadn't been turned it hadn't turned from timber to lumber hmm. Did you know Alan Lomax? Yes, I did. It was a pleasure to know him too. He was a he 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 labored in the vineyards for a long time. He was at the Library of Congress, and he was the one of the first people to realize um, the gift we had in in Woody Guthrie. And he did extensive uh, interviews with him and recorded him singing uh, his songs. And uh, he he was just a great. Um, espouser of American traditional folk music. I want to talk about some other uh, influences. Um, you teach another workshop called What I Learned from Pete and Woody. Well, by that mainly I mean um, topical songs, political songs. Um, but you see, Pete... Uh, Pete's politics uh, were uh, very red when he was younger, and he changed as he grew older. He certainly left the party at a very early age. I had some talks with him about that. You see, I'm a small-town boy from Oklahoma, middle-class kid from a town high school, and I never had uh, any inclination... Uh, toward radical left politics at all. I've always been content to be uh, what I call a Bobby Kennedy uh, Democrat. Uh, But Pete uh, told me that he was going to remain a small-c communist until he died, and he did. Uh, He happened to believe uh, in a collective society. I don't. I believe... I believe what Bill Clinton said, that the differences are simple, that one side believes uh, that we're all in this together, and the other believes you're on your own, and I, I side with the former. But these are songs from the time in which they were written that had serious points to make. When, when Pete wrote the beautiful, beautiful turn, 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 he took it uh, from Ecclesiastes and made his 
his uh, immortal mark on it. I think it's one of one of the great American songs is Turn, Turn, Turn. And it it talks about how there, uh, there's a time to love, a time to hate, a time to fight, uh, a time for peace. I swear it's not too late, he says. Um, Woody, Woody wrote songs about um, un- the fight for unionization of labor, the fight to build the labor unions over tremendous opposition, uh, including national guards and, and, and police forces, um, the dignity of labor. He certainly took the working man's side, of course. Uh, he, he was against what he called the gun thugs, uh, that could be hired uh, to go out and break up uh, strikes. Um, so I believe in songs like that too. So I I believe in writing I believe in writing songs that 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 are essentially letters to the editor or op-ed columns. There's nothing wrong with writing songs uh, that express how you feel. You have said that um, one thing you admired in Woody Guthrie is a, is a fearlessness. Absolutely. He he wrote he wrote what he thought. Now, I don't write that way very much anymore because I really don't like to be preached at. So I try not to preach myself. But I think that if you write a song about a topic that is on everybody's mind and about which people have very differing opinions, strongly held. Um, some people are going to, you know, take offense at it. There's no question about that. Um, and and if I were uh, if I were trying to make a million dollars by being a popular um, singer songwriter, uh, I would uh, steer clear of writing songs on uh, touchy subjects. But that's not uh, the fish I'm trying to fry. I just want to write the songs I want to write. Have you gotten negative pushback on on songs? Very little. Okay. Mm -hmm. Very little. I I had an email once from someone in my hometown in Oklahoma saying I should be ashamed of myself, but... um, I bet you if I had a chance to sit down with that fellow for half an hour and a cup of coffee, we'd iron it out. You're listening to Access Utah, and we are revisiting conversation from uh, 2017 with uh, uh, folk singer-songwriter Tom Paxton. Um, And you can find him, by the way, at his website, tompaxton.com. We'll have more following this. Support for the UPR-produced podcast, Debunked, is made possible by the Utah Division of Substance Abuse and Mental Health, providing substance use disorder, mental health, and suicide prevention resources throughout Utah. Information at dsamh.utah.com. On the next Living on Earth, studies find that eating more organic foods appears to reduce the risk for developing cancer. A cleaner set of ingredients, closer to nature, fewer additives, less processing is probably in general playing a role here. I'm Steve Kerwood. Organic food in your health next time on Living on Earth from PRX. Coming up this morning at 10 o'clock here on Utah Public Radio. Calling all artists, designers, bird and native plant lovers. The deadline for the Utah Public Radio and Bridgerland Audubon Society Grow Native for Birds Bookmark Art Contest has been extended. You now have until October 13th to submit your best design celebrating the beauty of Utah's native plants and the many wild birds that rely on them. Your vote will decide the winning design and it will be printed on an educational bookmark. For more details, go to upr.org and to submit, just send your design to katie.swain at usu.edu. Tom Paxton says folk music is lumber with the bark still on. His legendary career spans six decades of traditional music and topical songs. His songs have been covered by everyone from Pete Seeger to Bob Dylan to Johnny Cash. 
and I spoke with uh, Tom Paxton in November of uh, 2017. Now, you um, have been reading a little bit that um, you um, were in the Army, I believe, um, at least a station near New York City. You'd, you'd go into Greenwich Village, and you were That's right. I was at part of the whole scene there. Fort, Fort Dix, New Jersey, in the uh, dreaded Clerk Typus School. <laughs> and, 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 Tom, I, I can't help but brag a little. I was, in fact, the honor graduate of my class at the clerk type of school in the army you i bet you didn't know i that. did not know that and congratulations that's a feather thank in your you cap. yeah it's a little late but thank <laughs> you very much <laughs> um so tell me a little bit about the about the scene there you would uh, you had i don't know what your goal was at the time but you uh you'd be, been given i'm reading a ukulele then a guitar and uh and you would uh, take your free time go into greenwich village yep i was in the village every weekend um I even went AWOL one weekend to go in, and I was uh, making friends in, in the coffee houses and uh, singing uh, singing on weekends, making oh, $10, $15 a night. I didn't know how you spent that kind of money, but uh, uh, it was my first indication of how the money was simply going to roll in. <laughs> and uh, when I got out, I just stayed. And and um, what was what was the goal early on? You just wanted to make a living as a musician. That's right. I wanted to, I wanted to make a living singing folk songs and perhaps writing a few songs, and then the writing became more and more important. Well, why so? How did that happen? I mean, some some people prefer to just sing. Well, you... I found out that I could write songs. Mm. Um, and by the time I got to New York, I had written, oh, maybe 50 songs, uh, uh, none of them any good. Uh, but one day um, during typing class, which was exquisitely boring to me because I could already type, you know, and learning it once is bad enough. Learning it again will kill you. So I would, uh, instead of doing the exercises, I would... I uh, used the typewriter to write letters home and stuff. And one day, I made up the words to a song called The Marvelous Toy. Um, and later on, that, that kind of became my ticket because uh, I, I, I won temporarily uh, the chance to be in uh, the Chad Mitchell Trio. That didn't work out, but I sang them The Marvelous Toy during a break, and uh, they loved it. They eventually... Uh, made a hit recording of it, and their musical director was a man named Milt Oaken, O-K-U-N. And Milt became my publisher, and uh, I stayed with him for 50 years. And of course, you know, looking back, you've had a great career. I wonder, for example, in the early on, kind of in the middle of this, you got married. What did your what did your wife think about that? We're, I'm, I'm marrying a singer-songwriter. Well, I'm, I met her at the Gaslight, where I was singing in New York in uh, January of 63. I met her. She came in with another folk singer, and um, uh, by the end of the evening, I had uh, taken over, and uh, uh, we were together. I proposed to her in two weeks. We got married in six months, and... uh, at the time she passed, we were just two months shy of 51 years together. Oh, so, it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, she died in June of 2014. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. Uh, that was a Thank you. A great partnership, though, sounds like. It really was. She she was a true partner. She, she uh, thought a lot about what should be done, what shouldn't be done, what what mistakes we could avoid and what mistakes we had made. And, and I'd always sing her a new song, and about one in ten of them turned out to be okay. And she was a great, a great uh, she couldn't sing a note herself, but she could tell when a song was a good song and when it wasn't. And she was tremendously valuable to me. Yeah, that's great partner. It's good to have that the, the pair of ears, isn't it, to to give you some feedback. Uh, you've said a couple times that uh, you know you early in your career you you had a handful of songs, none of them good. Um, a ratio of I can't remember what your ratio was, but uh, is what advice would you give to aspiring singer songwriters? You just got to get there and write and write a lot. You have to write 
a great deal. It's like anything in life that we do. If you want to do it well, you have to do it a lot. You know, you learn by doing. Uh, and you learn to perform by performing. Uh, we had it a lot easier when I was uh, uh, starting out than, than kids have it now. I, I, my heart goes out to them. It's hard for kids now to find stages to get up on and sing. Um, we had all those coffee houses in the village, for example, in Greenwich Village. Uh, we um, it, it didn't get paid very much, if at all. But there was an audience there. There was a microphone. There was a spotlight. Uh, it was a, a professional setup. And you got up there and, and you learned how to perform. You learned what not to do and what, what worked, what didn't work. And there's, there's no substitute for that. When, and the same thing is true of songwriting. If you want to write songs, you really need to write, you know, you really need to write a song a day. Um I did that for a long time, and my ratio was something like one in ten. I'd, I'd write, I'd write ten songs, and out of them, I'd have one that I would even think about singing on stage. Um, but there was no other way that I know of to to polish the the talent God gave you than than to exercise it and really exercise it hard. You've been, of course, uh, understatement say you've been in folk music for a long time, um, from the time you started out there to today. What uh, what are the biggest changes, do you, do you think, or, or have things generally essentially stayed the same in the folk world? Well, they have stayed the same in one respect. It's, it's still under the radar, if you will. There's, there's um, a whole world of uh, folk groups that get together like once a month and and um, organize they, they, and and put on concerts and uh, provide uh, stages for people like myself. Uh, there is a whole world of people putting on concerts in their homes. Um, it's all, as I say, under the radar. Uh, the entertainment business doesn't care much about it uh, because there's there's very little money involved. Uh, but it's it's vibrant. It still keeps going, and people people still get the get the bug, and they you know they get a nice Martin guitar, and 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 now it's a lot easier to learn to play now than it was then. That one thing that has improved enormously. You can get uh, you can get DVD um, guitar courses on just about any style you can imagine. You can also go on and do lots of guitar instruction on YouTube, for example. Um, and so you can you can make a start and and start to meet other folk singers, other guitarists who'll share licks with you. Um, it's it's something that people become very passionate about and and do their whole lives, whether they're professional or not. So that's the per- performers, or the, you know, just uh, whether amateur or professional. What do you think people come to concerts? What are they? What are they looking for? Do you think they could go to a different form of music? They come to a folk concert. Well, in some of them are coming uh, as as people do to any kind of concert to relive the music that they that they heard uh, when they were young, and uh, I mean, I see a lot of. A lot of gray heads out there in my concerts. Uh, people who were young when I was young and uh, heard the music then and still like to hear it. Um, other people just come because they they love simple music. And folk music has lots of uh, lots of songs you can sing along with. I mean, I learned that from listening to Pete Seeger and the Weavers, and I always try to write a good singable chorus so people can get involved in it. Hmm. What do you, are, are there certain songs that have just stayed with, of yours that have just stayed with you and that you especially hope, uh, out, oh, yeah. outlive you? Well, we mentioned some of them a little earlier, but then there's also a song, uh, like whose garden was this, which I wrote for the first earth day, um, which was, 
was in uh, Evanston, Illinois. I sang the song for the first time, and I mean, I wrote it to be sure that I'd have a song on the topic for that for that evening. But I'm still singing it all these many years later, and John Denver recorded it, and uh, and uh, quite a few other people, and. Um, so I, I still sing that song. I still sing a lot of the love songs that I wrote. You know, and, um, I like to sing. I, I like to write and sing love songs. That's certainly important. I've written a lot of children's songs as well. Uh, I think the most popular one being "Going to the Zoo," which has been recorded by hundreds of people. I think, and uh, uh, a nice, simple song, "Going to the Zoo." And so I, I, I like to do at least six or seven uh, old songs in, in any concert. Um, I mean, the, as, as my old high school football coach used to say, you dance with who brung you. And uh, he wasn't wrong. Uh, you mentioned uh, a cover or two there. Your songs have been covered. But it's a who's who. You know, Pete Seeger, Bob Dylan, Judy Collins, um, Seekers, Peter, Paul, and Mary, Harry Belafonte. The list goes on and on and on. Uh, are there some favorites among the covers? Yeah, one of them uh, you didn't mention. One of them fairly recently, uh, Johnny Cash, on one of his final albums, which were very simple albums, very... Just mainly just himself and the guitar, he sang uh, I Can't Help But Wonder Where I'm Bound, and he certainly made me happy when he did that. Uh, he sang it so simply and beautifully, made me happy I, I had written it uh, back in 1962 or thereabouts. Um, and certainly hearing Pete sing, um, well, just the other night watching the Ken Burns' new uh, series on the war in Vietnam. Uh, there's a recording there of Pete singing my song, uh, uh, The Willing Conscript. And he also sang What Did You Learn in School Today, beautifully, and Ramblin' Boy. Um, Judy Collins did some wonderful recordings of my stuff. John Denver did as well. So I'm... Uh, it's uh, I've been extraordinarily blessed in uh, the way the singers have done my songs. Dolly Parton sang the last thing on my mind with Porter Wagner. Uh, it's it's gratifying. Mm. You've uh, you've received some uh, some great honors uh, in addition to the, the to the typing pool honor, uh, maybe even higher than that. You <laughs> well, it's still the typing it's, it's, pool honor. Still, still that, that one gets right that was the, the top, top. Yeah, you got a lifetime Grammy. You were honored by the the British House of Commons. I was yes. They 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 tossed a little uh, little do for me and gave me a plaque and and uh, uh, and I and I said, you mean. That's it. I'm not going to be Sir Tom or anything. I said, no, no, that's it, pal. <laughs> but I was, I was thrilled. Um, mm. And uh, my uh, performing rights society ASCAP gave me another one, and and uh, the North American Folk Alliance. Uh, it's 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 terrific. So, and and about five years ago. Uh, I was added to the Oklahoma Music Hall of Fame, along with Woody Guthrie and Merle Haggard and Reba McIntosh and uh, uh, McIntyre. Yeah. Um, so, um, well, that's great company. That's a lot of great, lot of great folks yeah. came out of Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, you consider yourself an Oklahoman, right? You were, you were, I think, you were born in Chicago. Yeah, I, and, I grew uh, up there. High school, mm -hmm. University of Oklahoma. I'm a Sooner. Mm-hmm. Great. I think I'm I'm the last Democrat, though. I think uh, <laughs> I haven't I haven't li lived there since 1959. Yeah. But uh, uh, you know, it, my heart is still there. And including this week, you turned 80. Yesterday, Halloween, wow. I turned wow. 80. Yes, sir. Uh, so you know, given all that, strikes me dumb. Uh, huh? <laughs> What uh, what do you? It's kind of unfair to ask you this. This will there be a judgment of history, of course, and I'm sure it'll be positive. What do you think, or what do you want your legacy to be? Oh, I, I would just say 
two words, he cared. Yeah, I that's... cared very much about uh, this country and this world and this music and these people. I, I, I still care a lot. And I, I hope that shows in the music. Uh, just a couple of minutes left. Uh, anything you'd like to say about the latest uh, recording, Boat in the Water? Pure fun. Pure fun. Did it here close to my home. I live in Virginia now, in Alexandria, Virginia. And did it uh, a small basement studio up in Maryland. My, uh, my old friend Kathy Fink produced it. And uh, John Vesner came up from Nashville to help me with it. And um, some of the songs are co-writes. Some of the songs are new songs. Some of them are uh, very old. And we just sat down there and made music, and it turned out to be uh, a nice album. I wrote that title song with a a great uh, Nashville songwriter, Pat Alger, written. He's had a lot of number one songs. And uh, we just ripped that one right off and uh, uh, it was just it's a fun recording to listen to although I'll be honest I don't listen to my own recordings uh, but people tell me they enjoy it mm-hmm. so, so when, once it's finished you don't you don't like to go back I'm sorry uh, w- once your once your latest album is finished you don't go back listen to it no I don't really listen to my recordings unless it's for some some reason, some purpose, but uh, if I if I'm going to listen to music, uh, I'll I'll put someone else on uh, or, or listen to classical music. Mm. Um, when I listen to my own recordings, I I tend to hear of what I could have done and didn't do. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, mm. I think that I think most artists are are, are like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you give it your absolute best shot while you're recording, and then. Uh, you know, a couple months go by, and if you listen to it, you find that you, you've you moved on. You no longer sing the song exactly that way, and uh, it's so it's it's discombobulating as much as anything mm. else. What do you, you put other people on? Who do you put on? Well, I like to listen to... Uh, I like to listen to Tom Rush, uh, Judy Collins, Pete Seeger... Now and then I'll get out the old uh, Weavers at Carnegie Hall album that they did in 56. Still one of the best folk albums ever done, I think. Um, and I, I'll listen to uh, albums that people send me, and then I'll write them a note or something. But uh, I don't don't listen to my stuff very much. I just... Hope everyone. I hope everyone else does. Um, well, I'm uh, many do, many many do. Um, <laughs> so that's a good place to end it. There, we've been talking with uh, singer songwriter, uh, folk legend uh, Tom Paxton, and uh, he's coming to the Moab Folk Festival. So you have a chance to uh, to see him. That's uh, the Folk Festival. Moab Folk Festival is this weekend, and he'll be there with the Don Juans, and then Tom Paxton. I think your your other places as well. Yes, we're going from there to. Uh... Oregon, going to play in uh, Eugene and Portland, then up to Seattle, up to Vancouver, and then Alaska for two uh, two concerts. And then uh, I think they'll pour me on a plane and send me home. <laughs> oh, very good. Well, it's uh, be great to have you in Utah and uh, all around uh, other places. And uh, Thank you, Tom. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. We appreciate that interview with uh, Tom Paxson, which, by the way, was in November 2017, ahead of the Moab Folk Festival uh, at that point. Uh, there is a music festival going on right now in Moab. It's more classical music, the Moab Music Festival. You can find out more about that music festival, moabmusicfest.org. We end the program today with a commentator, uh, commentary rather, from Richard Ratliff. The battle begins the political fight for America. So the Democrats and Republicans have called their candidates and set their standards for battle. Much is being said of the spectacle, commotion, and drama of it all. The lines are set, the game has begun, with the attendant name-calling, fear-mongering, ridiculing, demonizing, abuse of simple logic and truth, 
and the obliteration of common decency. Is this really how we want to live and how to showcase democratic governance before the world? Surely not. But I believe there is hope even at this late hour in our election season. I have said before, there is no need to join a new club or political party for liberals to become conservatives or vice versa. We need no new laws or taxes, no new economic theory, no new governmental institutions or infrastructure. Our Constitution can continue to undergird our rule of law without revision, and our democracy in the world will be healthier and stronger for it, beginning almost immediately. You see, healthy society requires healthy relationships, including healthy political relationships. Where relationships suffer, we all suffer, individually and collectively. Fix the relationships and we fix society. So doing, we improve and protect the quality of life for everyone, which is the purpose of government. Right now, our society is suffering mightily. We are a nation of good people, bogged down in a quagmire of political, social, even physical ills. Yet, power politics is encouraging and feeding the demons. In this political season, we, the voters, must demand leaders who understand the importance of relationship skills. This election is about knowing how to get along together, how to work together, to build a healthy society of healthy, competent, responsible citizens who care about each other, different as we are. This in no way suggests a lack of commitment to public safety at home or diplomacy abroad. We can begin this process in two steps. One, change course right now. To demonstrate a willingness and ability to work together to build the political relationships necessary for a healthy country, physically, mentally, socially, spiritually, economically, and diplomatically. We should demand and should elect candidates who can best do this. Two, in the immediate process, our political leaders must learn and practice relationship-based leadership. This will not be easy for some, but for the good of us all, we can do it. I believe we must. And that was Richard Ratliff here on Utah Public Radio. Support for Project Resilience Programming on UPR is brought to you in part by our members and USU Center for Persons with Disabilities, working to create healthy, inclusive communities through innovative research, service, technical assistance, and education. Information at cpd.usu.edu. Utah Public Radio is a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSUFM Logan. Also heard at upr.org. <laughs>